0: Man arrested in WA after flight disruption A spokeswoman for the airline said the man repeatedly failed to follow crew instructions on the overnight flight, prompting the pilot to return QF-652 to Perth about one hour into the flight. The man was arrested by Australian Federal Police on arrival and the flight was delayed by about three hours, arriving in Brisbane at 8.30am on Wednesday. Drug seizures in postal crackdown Police and other agencies conducted Operation Vitreous in a bid to get a snapshot of the amount of illicit material being sent through the post. It resulted in more than 1,000 seizures across the country, including 381 in Queensland and 312 in Victoria with drugs detected including cocaine, cannabis, methylamphetamine, heroin and steroids. Cross River Rail Capacity Need Questioned Deputy Opposition Leader Deb Frecklington used a budget estimates hearings at State Parliament on Wednesday to quiz the CEO of Building Queensland, Damien Gould, on how the government arrived at its demand projections for the rail project. In particular, Ms Frecklington wanted to know whether demand for Cross River Rail was based on past performance or future projections. It follows reports on Wednesday that the supposed choke point for rail in Brisbane, the Maryvale Bridge, was only at 65% capacity in 2016. So if rail patronage doesn't triple as modelled, will this reduce the cost-benefit ratio of cross-river rail? Ms Frecklington asked. Mr Gould said BQ based its passenger predictions on data from the Queensland Statistician's Office, which showed an extra 30,000 passengers would come into Brisbane CBD for work in the next 20 years. The demand projections are informed by a number of factors including population and employment projections for Queensland, Mr Gould said. Ms Frecklington also asked Deputy Premier Jackie Trad how far behind schedule Cross River Rail was. Ms Trad said it wasn't behind schedule on a business basis, but had been delayed several years due to an ongoing funding fight between the federal and state governments. The Queensland Labour government decided in its June budget to fully fund the initial $5.4 billion cost of the project, while still seeking for the Commonwealth to contribute money towards it. Government contractors caught up in fraud The number, revealed in a Senate estimate's answer tabled in Parliament, is more than double those identified in May to have been caught up in the scandal. Pluto's Payroll is the company at the centre of one of Australia's biggest suspected white-collar crimes. The Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet has revealed 23 contractors have used Pluto's payroll services, engaged through six labour hire companies. All government departments and agencies have been asked to scour their files for any links to the fraud. Ten people have so far been charged in relation to the alleged fraud, including Adam and Laura Cranston, the children of Australian Taxation Office Deputy Commissioner Michael Cranston. Voluntary Administrators Veritas Advisory were appointed last month. Work resumes in part of Newcrest mine. The company says it has completed a test and response process at the Panel 2 Cave and it is now back in production. Remediation works are ongoing at the mine's Panel Cave 1 but Newcrest has told the ASX it is on track to resume production there in the September quarter. United States puts new sanctions on Iran. The measure signaled that the administration of President Donald Trump was seeking to put more pressure on Iran while keeping in place an agreement between Tehran and six world powers to curb its nuclear program in return for lifting international oil and financial sanctions. The U.S. government said it was targeting 18 entities and people for supporting what is said was illicit Iranian actors or transnational criminal activity. Those sanctioned had backed Iran's military or Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps by developing drones and military equipment, producing and maintaining boats, and procuring electronic components, it said. Others had orchestrated the theft of U.S. and Western software programs sold to Iran's government, the Treasury Department said. The United States remains deeply concerned about Iran's malign activities across the Middle East which undermine regional stability security, and prosperity, the State Department said in a statement. It said the activities undercut whatever positive contributions to regional and international peace and security were intended to emerge from the nuclear agreement. On Monday, the Trump administration said Iran was complying with the nuclear agreement but it was also in default of the spirit of the accord and Washington would look for ways to strengthen it. It was the second time Trump certified Iranian compliance with the agreement since he took office in January, despite having described it as the worst deal ever during his 2016 presidential campaign, criticizing then-President Barack Obama whose administration negotiated the accord. Even as we continue to work to prevent Iran from ever obtaining a nuclear weapon, we cannot look away while Iran threatens our country and our allies in ways beyond their nuclear threat. White House spokeswoman Sarah Sanders told reporters on Tuesday. U2 urges enter a tung baby lawsuit. In a filing with the U.S. District Court in Manhattan, U2 said ordinary listeners would find that its song The Fly and Paul Rose's 1989 instrumental nay slap-in sound nothing alike, and no reasonable jury could find them substantially similar. The band also questioned why Rose waited until February to sue, saying nothing about the fly has changed in the quarter century since it was released. A lawyer for Rose had no immediate comment. Rose has said he is seeking at least 5 million US dollars, 6.3 million Australian dollars, in damages from U2 lead singer Bono, bandmates The Edge, Adam Clayton, and Larry Mullen Jr. And UMG Recordings Incorporated a Vivendi SI unit that releases records under U2's label Island Records. According to the complaint, Rose had given a demo tape of Slap into Ireland, and the fly later incorporated its guitar solo, distortion and percussive effects. IAC centralizes Australia operations. The owner of major insurance brands, including NRMA and Swan said on Wednesday it will create an Australian division as part of a previously announced optimisation program to reduce gross operational costs by a pre-tax $250 million by the end of 2019. The insurer said the restructure will bring together its former Australian consumer, business, operations and satellite divisions, and will help business run smoother. Creating a simpler, more efficient Australia division takes advantage of the scale of our business and the expertise of our people so we can respond more effectively to rapidly changing customer needs and expectations, IAG Chief Executive Peter Harmer said in a statement. The division will be run by the company's current Chief Operating Officer, Mark Milliner, while Chief Executive of the Australian Business Division, Ben Bessel, will become Executive General Manager Business Distribution. The chief executive of the Australian Consumer Division, Anthony Justice, has decided to leave the company. Mr Harmer said Mr Justice had made a significant contribution to the business over the past six years. We will miss his passion and commitment, and wish him every success for the future, Mr Harmer said. IAC says it will now report financial results for Australia, New Zealand and Asia and will release its full year results on August 23. The company's shares were trading higher. Up 1.5 cents to $6.75 at 1041 East. April unveils new bank capital reserve rule. The Australian Prudential Regulatory Authority said on Wednesday that, in order to meet the unquestionably strong benchmark in the 2014 financial system inquiry, banks will be required to have due one capital ratios of 10.5% by January 2020. That means the banks which have already lifted their capital ratios over the past few years, must decide whether they can build their capital reserves through measures such as pricing or asset sales, or through the sort of capital raisings they held in 2015. The Big Four said in May their T1 capital ratios were between 9.6% and 10.1%. APRA's objective in establishing unquestionably strong capital requirements is to establish a banking system that can readily withstand periods of adversity without jeopardising its core function of financial intermediation for the Australian community, APRA Chairman Wayne Byers said in a statement. Capital levels that are unquestionably strong will undoubtedly equip the Australian banking sector to better handle adversity in the future and reduce the need for public sector support. Mr. Byers said the move was the culmination of nearly a decade of reform aimed at building capital strength in the financial system following the global financial crisis. APRA believes this latest capital strengthening can be achieved in an orderly way, he said. Investors seem to agree with Mr. Byers' assessment, sending the big banks' shares soaring in early trade. ANZ, whose current ratio is the highest among the big four, was the star performer with its shares up 3.8% at $1,035 east to $29.38. West Park, National Australia Bank and Commonwealth Bank were also each up more than 3%. ANZ Chief Financial Officer Michelle Jablko indicated the bank was comfortable with the new requirement. With the benefits from announced but yet to be completed asset sales, ANZ is well placed to achieve the strength and capital standards. And to do so well ahead of the schedule outlined by APRA, Ms. Jabalco said in a statement on Wednesday. ANZ, when it announced its first half results in May, said its common equity tier 1 capital ratio was at 10.1%. Westpac's was at 10.0% at the same time, while NABS was 10.1%. Commonwealth, the country's largest bank, had the lowest tier 1 capital ratio with 9.6% at the time of its third quarter trading update in May.